If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy 33. We started verse 2 last week, but we didn't get nearly through it. In fact, we may not get through it today, but we can hope. So if you look at your Bibles, Deuteronomy 33 verse 2 says, And he said, but why? Why is he saying, Moses is about to bless the children of Israel, all the tribes except one. There's one of the tribes he doesn't bless. we got to find out why. But first, and he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. All those things refer to Mount Sinai, where he gave the Torah to the children of Israel. We call that the Matan Torah. Should be Natan Torah, but we always use an M instead. Says, and he came forth with ten thousands of saints. People say, Look at all those angels. He's not talking about angels, he's talking about the children of Israel. He calls them saints because of what happened in Exodus chapter 19. So let's turn over to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. The word saints there. In Hebrew is Kodesh. Kodesh means holy. So the word saints there means the holy ones. Kodesh in Hebrew is the equivalent in the New Testament of Hagios. Hagios, which is translated saints all the way through the New Testament. But in Exodus chapter 19, look at verse 5. And Exodus chapter 19 and 20 takes place at the time of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. Take your pick on terms. Verse 5, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That word holy, Kodesh. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. With those words they betrothed themselves to God, but they also set themselves apart from the world to worship the Lord our God and not the pagan idols of the nations. The word holy means set apart unto God, separated from the things of this world. So keep that in mind. Came forth with 10,000 of his saints. We're back in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. So he's talking about the children of Israel that are down there at Mount Sinai. Are they all physical descendants of Jacob? No, there's a great mixed multitude too. Together they are referred to collectively as the children of Israel. If he was talking just to the physical descendants, he might have said the children of Jacob. Because if you remember, Israel's birth name is Jacob. It's not until he comes to faith that God gives him the new name of Israel. So the children of Israel are those who have the faith in the true and living God that Israel exhibited. So it came with 10,000 of his saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Everybody, I'm sure, has seen the movie The Ten Commandments. 
How does God write in the tablets of stone? It's with fire, right? That's what this is describing, is that God sent fire that carved through the rock. In the scriptures it says the tablets were written on both sides. It means the writing went right through the rock. It's carved right through. But I want to take a little while to talk about this word saints, the holy ones. It really struck me this week as I was preparing that today in the modern world, how do you refer to somebody who believes in Yeshua? As Christian, right? The word Christian appears in the Bible a total of three times. So let's go look at them. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Every time it's used, it's used in a negative fashion. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So was it for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It was a derogatory term, a term to insult them. The next time it's used is in Acts chapter 26. By a king... who does not like the believers. Acts chapter 26, verse 28. King Agrippa. In verse 27, Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Again, he means in a derogatory way. The third time it's used is in 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian that is persecuted because of your faith, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. So when the outsiders call him a Christian, they mean to shame him. He says, don't be ashamed, just wear the title. So it was considered a derogatory term until the middle of the second century, when one of the Gentile church leaders said we like it a whole lot better than saints. Saints is the word that's used throughout the New Testament to refer to the believers. Between saint and saint, singular and plural, it appears 62 times. 62 times. If you think we're going to go look at all 62, now we're not going to do that. Just know, what's that? Do you think the term saints brings forth conviction in the heart? Yet yeah, this word saints means one who keeps the commandments of God in the faith of Yeshua. That's what holy means, right? Set apart. What set apart the children of Israel at Mount Sinai was what? All that you've said, we will do. 
So that sets them apart from the world. So yeah, I think that's why they went to the term. I don't think there's anything wrong with the term Christian. I'm just saying that's not the way the believers refer to themselves throughout the scripture, but as saints. But the word saint, I want to look at it because it carries obligation with it. We looked at Revelation 14, 12. Let's look again just because I just mentioned it. Yeah, the Catholic Church used it as, well, you got to have so many defined miracles and raised people from the dead, do this, that, and the other. That's not the biblical term. That's not the way it's used. But Revelation 14, 12, here's how it is used. And what I want to show you is it's used the same way in the Old Testament under the Hebrew word Kodesh as it is in the New Testament with the Greek word Hagios. It's one and the same. Revelation 14, 12, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. That's what sets them apart from the world. That's why they're called the holy ones, which is what hagios means. We just, in the New Testament, see the word saint because maybe then you won't recognize that it carries the characteristic of keeping God's commandments. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. And let's look at what the Old Testament has to say about the Holy Ones. May I insert a comment? Sure, insert a comment. In the Christian church today, if I call myself a saint, people would laugh at me and say, well, pride, that is so... Yeah. Yeah. So to refer to another person as a saint is to put them on a pedestal. To refer to yourself as a saint is like... Pride goes before the fall. Yep. And yet that is the term in the New Testament for the believers in Messiah. We've been taught exactly the opposite. Yes, we have been taught wrong. Boy, how long can we talk about that topic? (laughs) But go back to Exodus 12, verse 16. We turned back there last week, and I remember thinking to myself, I wonder why I put this one in the references. Because it doesn't say anything about the saints. It says in Exodus 12, 16, on the first day, that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared for you. What does that have to do with the saints? Is the word holy in verse 16 is the very same word. It's a set apart convocation. And that's exactly the same use of the word Kodesh as when it's referring to the saints of God. They are set apart. And what sets apart this holy convocation? The word of God. God's commandment. So when you keep God's commandment, you make that convocation holy. So from the first use of the words, is telling us the same thing. That if you want to be holy in the eyes of God, and without holiness, what? No one will see God. Can you claim that the law has been abolished? I don't need to follow God's commandments. I'm his saint and he set me apart. The answer is no. And that's what I want us to see. Let's go forward in Exodus to the chapter 15. 
This part in Exodus 12, 16, good and loud. It also ties to faith. It also ties to faith. Oh, what's the word for faith in Hebrew? Pistis in the Greek, emunah in the Hebrew, and it comes from he'amim, which is what? God said it. I believe it. That ends it. That's what faith is. Emunah. E-M-U-N-A-H. The Greek word, which is exactly the same in the New Testament, is pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. So faith doesn't mean I think there's a God in heaven. Faith means God said it. I believe it. I'm going to do it. That's absolutely correct. If you did not believe the word of God, you did not put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost of the house, your firstborn died. It really was a matter of life and death. It was to try and teach us how important it is to be obedient to the word of God. What does it mean to our eternal future if we say, I don't care what God said. He can't tell me what to do. Eternal life versus eternal death. Okay, go to Exodus chapter 15. Verse 11. Part of the Song of Moses. This is our song number one in our songbook, isn't it? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? That's the same word. Holiness. God is glorious in holiness. He is set apart from the world. He is not like the world. Does God get down and participate in the sins of the world with his creation? Absolutely not. Go Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. That's absolutely true. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10, when he said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In what chapter of the book was that? That's Leviticus 11 about clean and unclean foods. Where's it in the New Testament? 1 Peter chapter 1 quotes it. But isn't the New Testament, doesn't it teach different things than the Old Testament? The answer is no, it doesn't. One continuous book. Leviticus 10.10. 10. That you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. Why would God want us to distinguish between what's holy and what's not holy? Is it okay to play in the unholy pool? What do you call it if you play part-time in holiness and part-time in unholiness? Call it lukewarm, right? That's the church of Laodicea, and God said what? I'll take you to heaven? He said, I'll vomit you out. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 9 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 9 how, Wayne, Yes sir How would that how would that relate to the tree of, not, of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden Distinguish between holy and unholy Yeah Can you tell the difference between what's good and what's bad? Oh, yeah, you can. But if you 
pay the, attention. That's how you distinguish between the holy and the unholy. You pay attention. What did God say? If God told us to do it, it's holy. If he told us not to do it, it's unholy. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9. Eli had some wicked sons. Mm -mm -mm. But in this prophecy, it's actually a prayer that Hannah prayed. It says, He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. How many categories of people are in that verse? Two. You have the saints, the holy ones, and you have the wicked. Where's the middle ground? If you don't choose, you've already chosen. It even says that in the book of John, doesn't it? To not choose God is to reject God. There isn't a middle ground. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 6. For those of you that are saying, we talked about these things last week. You're right, but we only got started. We're not done yet. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 41. Verse 41. Remember, when you see the word saint here, it's the very same word in the Greek that is saint in the New Testament. It's the same word, just different language. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 41. Now therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place. Well, that sounds like a Paul Wilbur song, doesn't it? You and the ark of your strength, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in what? Sin? No, in goodness. In goodness. Let your saints rejoice in goodness. Should we rejoice in the sins of the world? Should we champion the cause of the wicked? No, we should rejoice in that which is good. Go to Psalm 16. 16. Remember the Psalms are not just a songbook, but they are very prophetic. Very prophetic. Psalm chapter 16, verse 3. It helps describe the saints. As for the saints who are on the earth, is he talking about angels? No, he's talking about people. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Would you like the Lord to call you my delight? Amen. Do we do that by walking in sin or walking in holiness? Psalm 37. Verse 28. And you know me. I want to start in 27 for context. Depart from evil and do good. What's that mean? It means repent, stop sinning, turn back to God. And dwell forevermore. What's he mean by forevermore? 
Talking about repent, come back to God, and enjoy eternal life. Four, because the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. How many categories? Two, saints and wicked. Which one's preserved forever? Which one's destined for eternal life? The saints. Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Verse 5. Gather my saints to me. Is that talking about the rapture and the resurrection? And bringing people into the kingdom? It certainly is. But he goes on to describe the saints. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. What covenant have you and I entered with the Lord? The new covenant. With what sacrifice? The blood of Messiah, the blood of Yeshua. We are in a covenantal relationship with God. A covenant is a contract, a vow on the name of God. Will God ever break his covenant? Give me a verse. Psalm 89 verse 34. My covenant I will not break. Or alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Let's go to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. If you're in that new covenant, then the law, the Torah, is written upon your heart. And it's your, your heart's desire to obey God and to follow his commandments. What if you don't have that desire? What if you'd rather walk in sin? Are you in the covenant or not? Answer is no. Psalm 85 verse 8. Psalm 85 verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. What's that mean? Don't turn back to sin. Don't turn away from God and return to your sinful ways before you got saved. That's Ephesians 4.17, right? Once you get saved, don't continue to walk as the Gentiles walk. Don't turn back. Why? Verse 9 says, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Judgment day is coming. God says, don't turn away. Don't turn back to your old ways. Cling to me. What's that Hebrew word for cling? Daniel, naga. N-A-G-A, naga. To cling to. I won't let go. Doesn't mean just touch. No. Psalm 97, verse 10. Psalm 97, verse 10 again tells us something about who the saints are. Verse 10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. 
He preserves the souls of his saints. What two words are parallel there? You who love the Lord and his saints. The saints are those who love the Lord. If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. God keeps focusing us back to the narrow road. It says he delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. So again, saints and wicked are the two categories. Let's go to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You might say, that's an odd verse. No, it means when Satan attacks God's saints, it raises his anger. It means a lot to the Lord. So what happens in the tribulation period when the false messiah in response to Satan's command, goes out and starts beheading God's saints. Does God sit back and say, oh well, so what? You're just stoking the fire, that's right. The Lord's anger builds. Psalm 132. Psalm 132, verse 9. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. What do you call that? Shout for joy? A teruah. Does that make you think of Yom Teruah, the day of the awakening trumpet blast that signals the rapture and the resurrection? It should. Because it's the saints that are going to respond to the trumpet call of the Lord to call us up to heaven. Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 8. Speaking about the Lord, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 8. Yep, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 8. Let me know when you found it. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 8 says, He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. That makes it sound like the saints all walk in one particular path. And what path is that? Following the shepherd. Right? John chapter 10. One shepherd one flock, one path, one way. Go back to verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. What's the word upright in Hebrew? Yeshar. Is it related to the saints? It most certainly is. It says he's a shield to those who walk uprightly. This describes how the saints walk. 
When they walk upright and uprightly, it means they're walking in righteousness. They're walking in the commandments of God. They're being obedient out of love and faith to a loving father. Go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Why does Satan hate God's saints so much? Because they keep the commandments. Whenever I hear a pastor say, Wayne, it's the devil that makes you want to keep God's commandments, I just kind of cock my head a little and think, boy, when is that ever in the scripture? Never does Satan try and get us to keep God's word. But Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Does, that's Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. What does yours say? So who is going to receive the kingdom, the messianic kingdom, and receive and rule and reign in that kingdom forever and ever? The saints. Plus who? There's no plus, right? Messiah and the saints. Do you want to be one of the saints? If you say, I don't want to be one of the saints, I want to live in sin, and then I'm going to be in that glorious kingdom, you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, that's not what the scripture says. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. The word saint simply means the holy ones. Those that are set apart to God. According to his commandments. In that same chapter, verse 22. We'll start in 21 so we know start in the middle of a sentence. I was watching in the same horn. That's the false messiah or antichrist or beast of Revelation 13 was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Why? Because they keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Yeshua. Until the Ancient of Days came. Who's that Ancient of Days? That's Messiah Yeshua returning in Revelation 19.11. How's he called the Ancient of Days? He was here at the beginning. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Again, it tells us that the ones who will receive the kingdom are the saints. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. And those of you are turning pages, go back. Same chapter. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Then the kingdom and dominion, that's of the entire world, the whole universe, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given to the people. Which people? The saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Doesn't it kind of make you want to be one of the saints? Well, let's go to Zechariah. Zechariah is right before Matthew. Zechariah 
Which chapter of Zechariah describes the battle of Armageddon and the coming of the kingdom? Chapter 14. Verse 3 is the Lord's return of Revelation 19.11. The Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. But look at the last sentence now of verse 5. Thus the Lord my God. Who is this scripture calling the Lord my God? It's calling Yeshua the Lord my God. Will come and all the saints with you. Are those the angels that come in Revelation 19.11? No. These are the saints. How can they come with Messiah from heaven? Because of the rapture and the resurrection. They have to be in heaven in order to return with him from heaven. What's that do to the post-tribulation rapture theory? Yeah. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Right. What is he trying to get the saints to do? To stop keeping God's commandments. Why would he want them to do that? Because that would make them cry for the Lord to return. That would fulfill Matthew 23. Yep. So if he can get the saints to turn away from God and walk into sin, has he taken them out of eternal life and taken them to the lake of fire? You're absolutely correct. Does Satan love the people that follow him? No. That is Romans 6.16. Yeah. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. Somebody say, but isn't that in the New Testament? Yes, it is. Matthew chapter 27, verse 52. And we'll start in 51 to make sure we read the whole sentence. Messiah has just died. With the words, it is finished. Verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Who were those who were privileged to be resurrected when Messiah was resurrected? They were saints. Why didn't God resurrect the wicked and evil? <laughs> they will be one day. But these that were witness of Messiah and his resurrection were the saints. How many of you have heard that in the rapture and resurrection, the only ones that will be raised were the ones from the time Messiah was crucified, buried, and resurrected? The Old Testament saints, they've got to wait. Well, who were these saints that were raised with Messiah? These were what we would call Old Testament saints. Yeah. 
So don't be misled by people who say, oh, this is for the church and the Jews have to just stop listening. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Who wrote Acts? Please don't say Paul. Luke wrote it. Acts chapter 9 verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. This word saints, hagios, is the very same use of saints that we've been looking at since the time we started this morning. We didn't change definitions. These are people that are set apart unto God by keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 27. No, we're not going to do all 62 in the New Testament. I just want to get enough of a flavor for us to understand. Saint in the Old Testament and saint in the New Testament is not different. It's the same. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He makes intercession for who? The for the saints. Christians. Christian and saints, not the same thing. How many Christians today keep the commandments of God? Aren't most of them taught the law's been abolished? Don't do it. Forget Shabbat, do Sunday. Don't do Passover, do Easter. Eat pigs, etc. Not the same thing. But it should be. That's the point. It should be the same thing. Very next verse in Romans would be verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So who are the ones who love God? I've heard that verse cherry-picked so many times over the years. You know, like it's like something people wear on a shirt. But they, you know, oh, I love God, I love God. But First John 5 says, if you love God, what are you going to do to demonstrate that love? You have to keep his commandments. Correct. And does the scripture say, if you don't keep my commandments, it's because you don't love me? Yeah, that's in 1 John, but in John 14 it says, and if you don't keep my commandments, it's because you don't love me. Does it not? Yep. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Yep, love is an action verb. You know what we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Faith, hope, and love. And all three are action verbs. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Who's going to judge the world? 
the saints. Ooh. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Verse 1. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I had a question, please. Go ahead. Um, in that First Corinthians six. Yes. Sorry, I'm a little croggy. Okay. That First Corinthians six, where it talks about the saints judging the world, is yeah. that basically the reference to our being a part of running the kingdom? Yes. Being kings and priests, okay. right? Mm -hmm. In the millennial kingdom, that's exactly what it means. Yep. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 Paul an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah by the will of God to the who? To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Messiah Yeshua. What's it mean they're faithful in Messiah Yeshua? They keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Yeshua. If anybody's got any verses that say otherwise, let me know. Otherwise, you're going to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you, talking about the Gentiles who have become believers in Messiah and obedient to the commandments of God, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. That's with the saints from days of old. We have been grafted in and members of the household of God. I don't know about you, but I like that verse. Ephesians 5.3 We'll start in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. What does 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 say? Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Messiah. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. We should walk as Messiah walked. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. We should do what Messiah did. Did he eat pigs? Did he walk in sexual immorality? No, he didn't do any of those things. And walk in love. Love requires what? Obedience and faith. As Messiah also has loved us and given himself for us as offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, but fornication, that sex outside of marriage, and all uncleanness. What's that word all mean? Every type of uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So if you are a saint of God, do you walk in fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, etc., etc.? The answer is no. We put those things aside. We don't want to walk that way anymore. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 12. 
And please understand, we could go to a hundred more than the scriptures we're going to. What does it mean when God covers the same topic over and over and over again? Does he want us to learn it? Is it important? Is he trying to get it through our thick skulls? Yes. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. God uses light to describe righteousness and darkness to describe sin. So is the inheritance of the saints darkness? No. The inheritance of the saints is the light. Jude Jude, right before Revelation, yeah, Jude, which chapter, well there's only one, verse 3, beloved, by that, we know he's talking to believers. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Is the faith going to differ between whether you were born a Jew or a Gentile? No. Is it going to change over time? No. There is no plan B. Contend earnestly for the faith. What is faith? Believing that what God said he will do, he will do. And what God told you to do, he expects you to do it. Just three more. Verse 14 of Jude. And now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes, talking about his return in Revelation 19.11, with ten thousands of his saints. That's what Zechariah 14.5 says, isn't it? Zechariah 14.5 is in the Old Testament. Jude's in the New Testament. Does it say something different? It does not. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. We studied last night Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, which says, Those who turn away their ear from hearing the Torah, the law, even their prayer is an abomination. This verse is not exactly the same, but it's correlated. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, he being Messiah, the scroll the seven sealed scroll. The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, that's Messiah, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Those who turn their ear away, are their prayers in this incense? No. 
The incense is the prayers of the saints. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 33. We have not exhausted all that could be said, but I figure we've exhausted all you can sit through. Yes, ma'am. In the same way, <coughs> excuse me, that, that we've gone over and looked at these different, many different things that the Lord uh, is trying to teach us about who are the saints. Can we revisit one more time about faith? Um, yes. Maybe I, I like this. I like this direction for being able because you know, whosoever believed, we know that is about faith. But sometimes I think we draw short on understanding what believed and faith entail. Okay. Let's go back to Genesis chapter fifteen which is where the New Testament always keeps focusing back to talk about faith. The word faith in Hebrew is imunah. It comes from this verb that we see in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. God has just told Avram, who later will be renamed Abraham, that he's going to have a multitude of children, even though right now he has none. So his descendants will be without number, and right now he has no children. And verse 6 says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That verb believed in Hebrew is ha-amin. Spell it H-E apostrophe E-M-I-N. Ha-amin. And it means the same thing we mean when we say amen. Because this is the verb from which we get the word amen. Amen means so be it. It means God said it, so let it be. So Abraham said, God said it, I believe it. That's it. It's going to happen. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Meaning, to, to, to have faith is to believe that everything God said will come to pass. Everything he said he would do, he will do. Everything he commanded us to do, we are to do. Turn back to Matthew where we see Messiah's own words in red. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he, he is Messiah Yeshua, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Do you believe that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God will come to pass? If so, that's called faith. That's what faith is. Hmm. Wayne, can we look at James 2 also? Yep. Let's look at James 2. That's coming up in my notes. When we get to it, we'll just say, remember we've been there. I'm sorry, I got ahead of you. No, no, it's okay. We were going there anyway. We'll start in verse 14. James was the half-brother of Messiah. He was the leader of of the apostles, the head of the Jerusalem council. The word in Hebrew for that is nasi, N-A-S-I. He was the head of the Jerusalem council. That's how we know that he, not Peter, was the head of the apostles. Verse 14, it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? So he says he has faith, but he doesn't live like it. He doesn't believe the words of God. Can faith save him? Meaning, can empty words save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, what did those empty words profit your brother or sister? The answer is not a thing. Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Meaning it was simply empty words. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what the scripture teaches from beginning to end. Is God evaluates our faith by our actions. If you believed me, you would do what I said, right? Let's follow this Ibex a little bit farther. We looked at the word Kodesh, holy, and its equivalent holiness. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Most of you could quote it before we even turn there, but for everybody else, I want us to read it together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Because it really just puts the seal of God on this topic. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Does that make holiness important? The word holiness here, it's a Greek word because we're in the New Testament here. It's hagiosmon, from which we get the word hagios or saint. It means set apart for God. And just make a note that there are several subpoints to help us understand what holiness is. First, it means that we keep the Lord's commandments. Numbers 15, verses 39 to 40. So let's go back to Numbers 15. 
because they don't want you to think I'm making these points up. I'm not. That's one thing when you do, when you open up and allow people to ask questions, is you make sure you can back up what you're saying or you can get in trouble in a hurry. Matt, uh, Numbers chapter 15, verses 39 to 40 says, we'll start in 37, it's about the zit seed. Everybody knows what the zit seed are, right? The tassels that are on my tallit here. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels, zit seed, on the corners of their garments, that's this garment, throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corner. See the blue thread? And that you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. What does it mean to God to do all his commandments? It means to be holy for your God. Exodus chapter 31 speaks specifically to the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 31. It says, you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Every, what's that? What verse? 31. Verse 14. I'm sorry, did I even tell you the verse? Shame on me. I guess I was waiting until everybody got there. And then my mind wandered. Exodus 31, 14. Exodus 31:14 You shall keep the Sabbath therefore for it is holy to you Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death For whoever does any work on it that person shall be cut off from among his people Work shall be done it actually may be done for 6 days but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest holy to the Lord Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. So if you break the Sabbath, are you holy unto the Lord? No. Psalm 93, verse 5. Psalm 93, verse 5. Note we're doing holiness includes keeping the commandments of God. Going to verses that tell us that in no uncertain terms. Psalm 93, verse 5. Your testimonies, what are the testimonies? Those are the commandments, right? That they heard with their own ears. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. So this links the obedience to the commandments 
to holiness. And holiness adorns the Lord's house. So if you want to be in the Lord's house forever, keep the commandments. Does that mean we're saved by keeping commandments? No. It means we keep commandments out of faith and love. Deuteronomy 28.9. Yeah, there's a reason these aren't in chronological or biblical order. Because I was trying to build point upon point. <coughs> Deuteronomy 28 verse 9. Deuteronomy 28 verse 9. Let me give you a chance to find it. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. Just as he has sworn to you. What's the next word? If. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And I think if you look at the Hebrew, that word if is actually because. But it brings across the same meaning. If you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, he will establish you as a holy people to himself. Have we looked and said holiness is a good thing? Let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 7. Yes, ma'am. Means his path, the straight and narrow. The way he set forth through his commandments. The commandments are a lamp under our feet to show us a way to walk. That's what he's talking about. Romans chapter 7. Everybody says the Apostle Paul says quit keeping God's commandments. They're bad. But actually we studied Romans. Did we find him saying anything like that? No. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. Therefore the law, referring to the Torah, the commandment, statutes, and judgments of God, is holy. And the commandment holy and just and good. Is that the same thing as saying, but don't keep them? No, it's just the opposite. Holiness unto the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 2 is my last sub-point under number 1, keep the Lord's commandments. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter is the book that says you've got to watch when you read Paul. You can think he's saying something he's not. And it can cause you great destruction. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. What is the way of righteousness? The holy commandment. 
What if once you come to a saving knowledge of our Messiah Yeshua, you decide to walk in sin anyway? What does Peter say? You'd have been better off never to have learned in the first place. Punishment would be greater. Yeah. Degrees of punishment. Yeah. Point two. Avoid uncleanness. Let's go to Deuteronomy 23. In Deuteronomy 23, it tells us exactly why we want to avoid uncleanness. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 14. Deuteronomy 23, 14. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. So if God comes into the camp and they're having a barbecue of a pig roast. What does God say he will do? Turn away from you. He will leave. Depart. Well what if. You're putting that pig in your body. Will the Holy Spirit. Dwell in uncleanness. That's why 2 Corinthians 6. Is there to say avoid all uncleanness. Romans chapter 6 verse 19. Isaiah 66 is a big reminder, isn't it? Yep, and 65. But nothing to me is more clear than Isaiah 66, where the Lord says, if you're having a ham sandwich when I return, I'm going to kill you. It's all stick, that's right. No carrot whatsoever. Romans 6. We know Romans 6.16 says, the one that you obey that's the one whom you serve but this is Romans 6:19 which talks about how you were before you got saved versus how you will be after you got saved verse 19 says i speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh for just as you presented your members that's your body as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now, what's the now? Now that you've been saved. Present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Holiness is just put down there, saintedness. Notice, righteousness and lawlessness are opposites. Uncleanness and holiness are incompatible. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, since I mentioned it. Don't let me say things without backing them up with scripture. Second Corinthians 6, we'll start in 16 and go through chapter 7, verse 1. It's just a few verses. 
And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, because God promised to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit, therefore come out from among them, the idolaters, the unclean, the fornicators, etc., and be separate, says the Lord. Do not naga, do not cling to what is unclean. And I'll receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Did God promise to dwell in the pig eaters, in the unclean, the immoral? He does not, does he? Next point, or sub point actually, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 we did. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So uncleanness is incompatible with holiness. Third point. Be without blame. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. What's that reference again? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. And what was the name of that point? Be without blame. Meaning when Satan accuses you of violating God's commandments, be innocent. Yeah. <coughs> Ephesians 1, 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, there's that word holy, and without blame before him in love. That verse says, why should we be in holiness? Why should we be holy? Why should we be blameless? Out of love. If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. So it's all about love. Do you love the Lord your God? Amen. Go to Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. When, when Paul uses the word beseech, what does it mean to beseech? It means to beg, to plead. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. There's that same word, hagios, holy. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 
you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua the Messiah. Be without blame. Point four. Imitate the holiness of the Lord. Imitate the holiness of the Lord. Instead of going back to Leviticus chapter 11, since we're in 1 Peter anyway, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Because Peter's going to quote from Leviticus 11, which is the chapter that says, Don't eat them piggies. Or shrimps, lobster, catfish, crawdads. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Roadkill. Rats and possums. Rats, possums. Ugh. Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, which means in your right mind, not insane. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah as obedient children. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, meaning before you got saved. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. So Peter says, be holy in which portion of your conduct? All of it. Why? Because God said, be holy, for I am holy. That word conduct comes from the word halakh, which means to walk. Yeah, interesting. The word for keeping the commandments of God in Hebrew is halakha, which comes from the word to walk. You walk along a path, right? When you walk along the path that God set out for us, God calls that holiness. So you could render that verse to say, be holy in all your walk. Yeah. So put down in your notes next, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 to 45. Yeah, let's turn back to it. Because it does tell us a little more than just be holy for I am holy. Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. In fact, we're going to start in 43. What does God say happens to you in his eyes when you eat these unclean things? You make yourself, what's that word? Abominable. Do you want to be abominable in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 43, you shall not make yourself abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them, for I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, which means to make yourself holy. And you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself. That word defile means to make your own soul unclean. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. If you make yourself abominable before the Lord, is that the same thing as holiness? 
No, it's just the opposite, right? In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, you don't need to turn there. Just write it down because you've all memorized that one by now. Where Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate the Messiah. And write down 1 John 2.6, which you also can quote to me. He who says he abides in himself also to walk just as he walked. Well, let's turn to 2 Peter 3, because less of you could quote this one to me in your sleep. You guys realize by now you all deserve doctoral degrees in theology. Second Peter chapter 3. Well, teach it for 30 years, and you'll get it. Second Peter 3, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, talking about Judgment Day, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since you will stand before the Lord in judgment one day, do you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or... I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. One more on this point or sub point, and that's Exodus fifteen eleven. Why am I bouncing you all over the Bible is to show that it says the same thing. Exodus fifteen eleven. From the Song of Moses. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Fearful in praise is doing wonders. If the Lord is glorious in holiness, that should make us want to be holy in his eyes. Uh-oh. Point five is a big one. I don't know why I put it down to point five. Maybe it should have been number one. Holiness is required for the resurrection to eternal life. Is that a big one? That's a big one. Let's go to Revelation 20, verse 6. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. The word blessed means happy. But those who are holy are those who will take part in the first resurrection. That's the resurrection to eternal life. It says, over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and the Messiah and shall reign with him for a thousand years. And then into eternity future. Romans 6. But Wayne, Paul wrote Romans. It couldn't possibly encourage us to keep God's commandments and be holy. Oh yes it does. 
Romans 6.22 But now, that is now that you've been saved, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of God. You have your fruit to holiness and the end or goal, everlasting life. What is the end result of holiness? Everlasting life. Hmm. Point six. Holiness is beautiful in God's eyes. Go to First Chronicles. You guys remember, you guys encouraged me to go on on the topic, right? Yep. Good. First Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 29. First Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 29. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. A worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. How does God look at holiness? As beauty. Yes, ma'am. What was that reference again? Because I went to 1 Chronicles 16, 21 and that wasn't the verse. It's verse 29. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 29. Yep. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. We may as well start in 25. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Messiah also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Sanctify means to set apart and make holy with the washing of water by the word. How do we learn to be holy? By studying the word of God. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Does that let you know what God thinks of holiness? Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're just a few pages. Colossians 3 verse 12. 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, that's that same word, holy, and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Last point, point seven. Seven's the number of completeness, so you've got to quit at seven. 
Holiness and righteousness are inseparable. Holiness and righteousness are inseparable. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 74. Through 75. Luke chapter 1, verses 74 to 75. This is a prophecy in a prayer uttered through the Holy Spirit to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. In holiness and righteousness, they go hand in hand. What is the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Holiness and righteousness are hand in hand. Last, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 17 to 24. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility or perverseness of their mind. Having their understanding darkened is darkened good or bad bad, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance means the lack of knowledge of what? Of the commandments, the Torah. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Messiah. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Yeshua, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness, they're inseparable. What does the word sanctify mean? Set aside. To set apart, to set aside, to make oneself holy. Set apart there. So let's look at John 17, 17. If somebody says, I want to walk in holiness, but I don't know how to get there, how to start. Go to John 17. You all know John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Yeshua, the Messiah whom you've sent, which then would take you to 1 John, but that's not why we've come here. We've come for verse 17. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So what happens when you study the word of God and find that you've been doing something wrong? Do you say, well, I've done it this long, I guess it'll be okay. Or do you do like Josiah and say, boy, it's time I changed something in my life. That's what sanctification is. I found I've been doing something wrong. I don't want to be wrong anymore. How do you find what's right and what's wrong? You study the word of God. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, I don't need to read the word of God. The Holy Spirit will tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, it doesn't really work that way, does it? Okay. Let's go back to Deuteronomy while there's still a few minutes left. Yeah, or not. Yes, ma'am. That's okay. Would you say then that sanctification is a process of being sanctified? Yes, it is a process. You can't do what you don't know. That's why we study the Word of God to find what we've been missing. Her comment reminds me of Acts 15. That word for, huh? Yeah, because if they were willing to put aside those things they characterized in pagan idolatry, right. then they could come in and learn how to do the rest. Correct. That's sanctification. That's sanctification. Go to Acts chapter 15. Daniel's exactly right. This is what the Jerusalem Council taught when a question was arose, are Gentiles saved by circumcision or by faith? Yeah, unfortunately, there are people who read it that way. Look at Acts 15, verse 19. Therefore I judge. This is James speaking. Never mind about the name. Okay. That we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. The key to that verse is the I-N-G. They're in the process. But then we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols. That's food sacrifice to idols, carrying idols, worshiping idols, all that. From sexual immorality, that's everything from homosexuality to prostitution to adultery to fornication. Get rid of all that. From things strangled, that is food that's killed in a non-proper manner where the blood's not properly drained. And from blood, that is, you never drink the blood with the meat. All those are things that characterize pagan worship. They do those things in pagan temples because God said not to do them. And then people see a period, and they forget the next word is for. Does for start a new topic? No. For means because. Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So if you'll avoid those things that characterize pagan idolatry, as Daniel said, you can come into the synagogue and learn the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. You know, this is a litmus test of how serious you are. It's a litmus test of how serious you are about turning from pagan idolatry to the worship of the true living God. And people who say, these are the only four things we have to do, murder's not in there. What does the scripture say about murder? Um, 
Stealing's not in there. Lying's not in there. All kinds of things that the scripture says. If you do these, you're going to burn in the lake of fire. So it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's meant if you will do these things, you can come then into the synagogue and learn the rest. At this point in time, when Acts 15 is written, Gentiles could come into the synagogue and learn. Yes, ma'am? I was just going to say, these are particularly defiling, and they would bring that defilement into the synagogue, which would, be, which would really be a bad, bad thing. Absolutely true. And if you say, I don't want to worship idols anymore, then why would you want to continue in the idol-worshiping practices? First Corinthians chapter five. Everybody, turn up there. Go ahead, Daniel. Because that was one of the things that they said: if you're not willing to do these things, you, you know, you're not taking it seriously. And that's one of the things Paul was railing against the Corinthian church. You've got a guy doing sexual immorality in the church. Right. That's one of the things that you should not even allow to happen. Right. And Paul is citing a commandment of God from the Torah. Right. He's right. violating this Torah commandment. Get him out of the congregation. And then in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 9, there's a whole list of things. Paul says, if you're committing any of these sins, don't even think that you're going to be in the kingdom of God. It says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, back to Deuteronomy while we still have a few minutes. Or not. comment would be 1 Corinthians 7, 19. Also goes over about keeping the commandments that God has Yep, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. She's absolutely right. Lest somebody say, well, Paul must have been talking to Jews there. No, he's not. The church at Corinth was Gentile. That's 1 Corinthians 12 too. You know that you were Gentiles. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 19. Paul specifically says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So the Jewish people thought, hey, we're saved by circumcision. Paul says, uh, no. No. Are you keeping the commandments of God? If not, what are you lacking? Faith. That's Hebrews chapter 3, right? But let's get back to Deuteronomy. Well, there's still a couple of minutes left. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Yeah, I told you we might not get off that verse. Verse 3 says, Yes, he loves the people. What people? He's talking about the ten thousands of his saints. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Notice how everyone's in italics. Talking about the saints. The saints receive the words of God. Not only do they receive the words of God. What's it mean they sit down at your feet? to learn, to discipleship. They want to learn. They want to be taught. They don't look at the commandments of God as something to be avoided. They come and they sit and they listen. They study. They learn. And 
In the book of Ruth, what happens when Ruth comes and lies down at the feet of Boaz? What's that mean? She's asking to be betrothed. So those that want to be betrothed to the Lord will be eager to sit at the feet of the Lord and learn his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. Yep, sounds like Isaiah 2, sounds like Micah chapter 4, sounds like Zechariah 14, 16. Can you just see all the tentacles in the Bible making all these verses interrelate? Verse 4 says, Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. A heritage means an inheritance, something to be treasured, something to be possessed and passed from generation to generation. Is that not what Deuteronomy 6 says? So turn to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. Verse 6. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Whoops, I got two chats out there. Let me check. Okay, Sam asks, how is our beef processed? The answer is, I really don't know. But the question is, yeah. I don't know enough about the process to know. And then Gardner asks, how do present day theologians justify from scripture that it's okay to eat unclean animals? I do not see this in scriptures because it's not in scripture. But let's look at Deuteronomy 6 and then we'll take a better look at answering Gardner's questions. Verse 6, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. That means your heart's desire to do them. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's what it means to make it a heritage, an inheritance, a possession that's treasured that gets passed from generation to generation. And now to answer Gardner's question better, they go to Acts, well first to Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. <coughs> they remove the Jewishness from the Bible. They are trapping yeah. in order to, because if you take it out of context, then you might put it in our situation. Yeah. And you just don't have any idea. You have no foundation right. to, to really understand. And when the Catholic Church started the church councils, they invited every bishop from every part of the world unless they were born Jewish, in which case they were not allowed to come. So they had nobody who understood Hebrew or the customs in which the Bible was written. And they interpreted it from an East, a Western mindset instead of an Eastern mindset in which it was written. But in Mark chapter 7, if you read from an NIV... They make you think that Mark chapter 7 is about eating 
unclean foods like pigs and shrimps, and it's not. But in verse 19, their Bibles, if it's based upon the Westcott Hort Greek text like the NIV or the NASB, there's a parenthetical that said, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. So that's their step one. But that's actually a translator's comment, what they want you to think it means. Chapter 7 is about a ceremonial hand washing. It has nothing to do with eating unclean foods. It's simply that if you had some dirt on your hands and it goes in your mouth, don't worry, it'll go out in the latrine later. And then they turn to Acts chapter 10 and say, Acts chapter 10, God commanded Peter to eat pigs. Did he? No. In Acts chapter 10, we have a centurion by the name of Cornelius. He's not Jewish, but he's what's called a God-fearer. If you look at the Greek, it's theomenos ton theon. And it means that he keeps the commandments of God, so he's not eating pigs. But God tells him to send somebody to go get Peter, so he sends three of the members of his household, soldiers that serve him, that are God-fearers like he is. They keep God's commandments. They don't eat pigs. And they get down, and as they're on their way to Joppa, where Peter is, Peter sees a vision. A talit is let down from heaven with unclean animals on it. And there's a voice from heaven called in Hebrew, a bot called. Verse 13 says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And does Peter say, Okay, Lord? He says, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. That tells you that Mark 7 has nothing to do with saying pigs are okay. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. It happened how many times? Three. How many men did Cornelius send? Three. So when they knock at the door, he's wondering, what does this mean? He sees the three that God had Cornelius send. He says, oh, I got it. Verse 28, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Is that God's commandment? No, that's a rabbinic rule. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So modern theologians think, oh, God cleansed the pig. And Peter says it's not about cleansing the pig. It's hold out two hands. God said the pig is unclean. Man said the Gentiles are unclean. Who gets to decide what's clean or unclean? God does. So verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Acts 10 says pigs are not clean, but the Gentiles who've been saved by faith, they are. So it's a misunderstanding of what Paul teaches in Romans 14 and what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 10. So go to Romans 14. Romans 14 is about fasting twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. It's not a complete fast, but you can't eat meat or drink wine. You can only have vegetables and water. And some people obey the commandment of the rabbis and Pharisees, because it's not God's commandment to do, that is theirs. And others say, nah, that's man-made, I ain't going to follow it. And chapter 14 is about don't judge 
a believer in Messiah whether he does that partial fast on Mondays and Thursdays or not. Did God say we have to eat meat every day? No. So if you want to eat meat Mondays and Thursdays, eat meat. And if you don't, eat vegetables. Doesn't matter to the Lord. But the problem is verse 14 is mistranslated. Verse 14 says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Yeshua that there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. The problem is in the Greek text, the word unclean doesn't even exist in that verse. It's koinon, which means common, not akathartos, which means unclean. So they have done some creative translations to make people think that it's okay. Although it definitely, by the word of God, is not. Yeah, I don't think that was unintentional. But I wasn't there. But you know what? We've run out of time. We will pick up next week, Lord willing, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 5. Ah, we did get through more than one verse. Just barely. barely. Just barely. Barely, barely. But we did. So next week, chapter 33, verse 5.